and welcome to Now Fear This with Becky and Marie, the podcast about all the things that scare the shit out of us and a few things that don't. I'm Marie, and sitting across from me with her Texas Tech gear, she's drinking Texas Tech water, is that right? That's what that is. These are very cool, giant cups you can carry that um, have this little thing on them, you know, where you can, Mm -hmm. it seals really well and you carry them in the car, especially for road trips. Is it Turvis? I don't know. Curtis ordered them and he got me a Slytherin one because they didn't have a Cambridge one. <laughs> and then he got a Texas Tech one and some Dallas Mavs ones. So always gotta really drop, cool. always gotta drop the Cambridge thing. <laughs> yeah, always. He's <laughs> like, hey, I'm going to like make a sandwich. Oh, by the way, I went to Cambridge. I went to Cambridge. <laughs> when I go to the movies, I went to Cambridge. Yeah. <laughs> hey Marie, are we recording this week? By the way, did you know I went to Cambridge? <laughs> For those of you just joining us in this podcast, <laughs> Becky, what are you fearing, Becky? I'm fearing that we took such a long, unexpected break that I don't remember how to do this. <laughs> it's rough starting again. Like we like- we were gonna we started season two in like November and then like six weeks later I go I gotta take a break for like a month or two and then right about March it started coming around you were out of town and then I was out of town and then you were out of town and then I was out of town so it's been I think since like November right yeah and when you're an older person like you know older like we are you can't just like learn something and bounce right back yeah it's not to- like riding a bike although when I <laughs> when I went to Cambridge um I hadn't ridden a bike in so many years. I literally had to reteach myself how to ride a bike. <laughs> That's another thing. Like, I feel like you, you shouldn't like do those sorts of things when you get older. Like a friend of mine decided she wanted to learn to skateboard. And oh. literally the first skateboarding lesson, she broke her ankle. What to say, this is no, you cannot. You know, even Tony Hawk himself, there's a documentary out. I didn't see it, but they were talking about it on the radio that they're all his dudes and you know they're all in their 50s and 60s or whatever they all get hurt constantly and they still won't stop yeah. so uh, i thought season two was going really well and i'm sorry we've been gone so long but we did uh we recorded one show a little while ago today and this is our second one since this longer break that we weren't planning on so i hope y'all will um enjoy coming back to us after such a long break because i didn't know like i said i didn't know we'd be gone that long and we got to remember all of the words. Like I had to log back into our website to start the new, I don't know. It's just like, I hope this gets back to where it was for a while when it was super, super easy. So, um, but anyway, that's all I got. I'm just, I'm like, okay, we took a break, had a lot going on, did a lot of this and that and the other. And then now we're getting back, back to our, our one true love of this podcast and just trying to remember how to do it. Yeah. Get get ready for when you start editing. That that'll be. Oh God, nice. I don't remember how, where that even is. And yeah, yeah. <laughs> You're gonna have to write a book called "How My Podcast Ruined My Marriage and My Life." <laughs> <laughs> That's about right. Yeah. Um, so, what are you fearing today? Well, you know, I've kind of, kind of always had this sort of thing gives me the chill. And it's being burned alive. The The thought of being, I know it's kind of dark. I'm just getting right into it. But the thought of being burned alive, you know, sometimes in movies, you'll see somebody get caught on fire. And it's just the creepiest thing to me. Especially like what goes through your mind when you're on fire and how long yeah. does it take to die? Um, I mean, this goes back to like the Salem witch trials and like, who was the woman that was famously burned alive? Like Joan a, of Arc? Joan of Arc, yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> There's a lot of stories about people being caught on fire, and it just seems like a really horrible way to die. And yes, it's something that's difficult in today's modern medicine world to realize they might be talking, their bodily functions are still going, but they're dying, and they're going to die because yeah. their tissue is dying. In, in history, when people pick like the most horrible way to kill someone, burning alive is just the worst. And when I was in Mexico, I was looking for something uplifting to listen to on the beach. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Not really. I was looking for some crime to listen to or something. And I saw this oxygen podcast called 
unspeakable crime, the killing of Jessica Chambers. And I sort of read the synopsis and I was like, well, that sounds interesting. And Oxygen also did a two hour TV documentary that went along with it. But anyway, um, this story just really spun me out. Partially because someone gets caught on fire, burned alive, and also because of the events that followed. So I'll start off with my sources, the Oxygen documentary, the podcast, idcrimefeed.com, and I also looked at people.com and the Clarion Ledger. And there's tons and tons of articles about this. There's all sorts of sites, people who are trying to solve this crime. It's really one of those crimes that has really captured people's imagination. And I'm gonna tell you the story and I think you'll understand why. So there's this town in Mississippi called Cortland, Mississippi. It's a rural area. It's kind of a medium, smallish place. And this ties into the story as we go forward. The population is about 50-50 black and white. And at 8.10 p.m. on December 6, 2014, the police receive a phone call from two guys that are driving around in this backwoods area that say there's a car on fire. So it's strange because it's not like there would be a car crash or anything. This is like some place out in the middle of nowhere. So first responders go out to the scene, firefighter to start with, to put out the fire. And you'll find with this case that there's so many different accounts of things and the evidence doesn't seem to always match up. So this first responder by the name of Cole Haley. Now, Cole Haley is a firefighter. He's newish to the profession, and he hasn't really dealt with really, really bad stuff at this point. Well, Cole arrives at the scene, and according to the documentary and a bunch of articles that I've read, a woman comes out of the woods like a zombie. The top part of her body is completely black. All of her clothes have been burned off except for her underwear. And the way they described it was she was walking forward with her hands out, saying help. So Cole encounters her, and he doesn't know who she is at first. And he asks her what her name is. And apparently she says, Jessica Chambers. And he realizes at that moment it's Jessica Chambers. He knows who she is. And he's just kind of like trying to stroke her her hair and like telling her, you know, everything's going to be all right. And he says to her, who did this to you? And she says what he believes to be Eric or Derek. But apparently her words are very slurred. He also testifies that she asked if she was going to die. There's a couple of other, you know, things like that. She says she's cold so on and so forth. And he just tries to comfort her. That's a, that was one of the most traumatizing scenes I can't fathom. Yeah. And I wanted to say Cole's name and bring him up because I don't think we think about the first responders that often. We figure these people are very hardened to it, but this guy was kind of new to the force and he actually quit after this and fell into a deep depression. He attempted suicide And even to this day, he just wasn't able to overcome it. And I can't imagine what that was like. But more first responders arrive on the scene. And of course, the first thing that everyone asks is, who did this to you? And every time she's pretty clear, she's either saying Eric or Derek. They bring a medevac and they rush her off to a hospital um, in a bigger city. And Memphis, yeah. Yeah. And she ends up living for a while. And then finally her mother shows up and her mother tells her it's okay to let go. And then she dies. There are other accounts that say they found her alive next to the car burning. But the oxygen documentary pushes the walking out of the woods thing. So I'm not sure what state if she was walking or lying when he found her. And I I don't even know if it's important. It might be important as to where her location was, but I'm not sure. I don't know. Uh, I don't know if it is. Uh, you'd have to really tell me it mattered at the timeline of a suspect. Right, right. It's, yeah. Over 93% of her body was burned. Hmm. So definitely in the trial that follows when they finally um, arrest someone, there are pieces of clothing that they found around outside. And there was a splash pattern of gasoline or some sort of inflammatory thing on it. 
And I've heard other accounts that say they found lighter fluid in her nose and mouth and throat. Hmm. So to me, those are, I mean, maybe I'm splitting hairs, but if somebody was just like, you know, thought they had killed her and dumped gasoline on her, or the car and gasoline got on her, that's sort of one thing. But if somebody is like putting it in her mouth and nose, that feels like an extra. Yeah, it does. So which is it, you know, is it gas? Is it a lighter fluid? What is it? You know, which, which one is it? Because whoever did this is not going to have both. Right. right. I mean, so the, so in the oxygen documentary, they really emphasize the gasoline aspect of it and we'll come back to it. But I have read a couple of articles that say lighter fluid in the mouth and nose. So it's just a mis it's a mystery nobody has pointed out these inconsistencies it's just something that i noticed so there are going to be a lot of suspects right the first thing that the police do is they try to find out if she has any erics or derricks in her life and there is one suspect by the name of derrick holmes who's a sex offender who went to jail as a sex offender and the police apparently question him a bunch and his alibi is, I guess his mom has some sort of advanced stage disease and he was at home massaging her feet. And there were other family members at the house at that particular time that claim he was there. Okay. So again, they questioned him pretty heavily, but a lot of people were saying this guy, Derek Holmes, was stalking her. What? Yeah. Okay, that's important. Yeah, I'm just throwing that out okay. there. A uh, sex offender stalking her, but he has a pretty solid alibi where his family claims he was there. Some people are saying maybe her family had something to do with it. Her dad was a former meth dealer and he went to jail for it. He got out and he made a relationship with the police. He was a mechanic for the police when he got out. In fact, they liked him so much that he ended up getting a full-time job, working on all the vehicles there. And people in the community suspected that he might be a narc of some sort. Oh. And her brother died in a car accident, but some people also think maybe there's some suspicious circumstances around that, that maybe are involved in drug dealing. There's a lot of gangs in this community. And Jessica, by all accounts, was pretty normal kid. She grew up in this town her whole life. She was great at school. It seemed like she was on a really successful path. And then she became a cheerleader. And around that time in high school, she started dating drug dealers. There's just <laughs> no way around it. Okay. So she's 19. She actually has a boyfriend who's like 10 or 15 years older than her who's in jail. Travis Stanford, who was actually a drug dealer in a gang, and that was her boyfriend. And apparently, she was in a very abusive relationship with him. And at one point, she had gone to this place called Leah's House, which was like a place for women who are trying to escape abusive relationships. And apparently, she had taken to selling drugs a few days out of the week. So she was dealing directly with these gangs. Okay. And her father and other people in the family say that 10 or 15 times she had come over and said that people that she was associated with think she's a snitch and uh, that she was worried about some reprisal because people think she's a snitch. I'm just throwing that out there so that you know who all the people yeah, yeah. are involved. So the police set out to interview every Eric and Derek in Panola County. They basically get a, a roster of all the names and they're just going house to house. Let me ask you this. Is it more than one first responder heard? Yes. This. Okay. Yes. I, I don't okay. know the exact number, but it seemed like five or more. Okay. It's a, it's a pretty big number of first responders. There's a, a game of telephone that goes on in these circumstances. And yeah. Anecdotal. Mm -hmm. But I think there were probably like four or five people that they called to the stand to testify that they specifically heard it. And they were even looking at people with the name Jarek, apparently, too. And there started to become a divide in the community because there's this thing, missing white woman syndrome. I don't know if you've heard of that. It's kind of an... Yeah, that's important to the story, too, is that she's white. 
and the boyfriends that we're talking about are not they're black and the people that are surrounding the story will if you're <laughs> if you ever been to mississippi much less lived there you will know that race is always a factor in everything yeah for so, sure yeah um the police are rounding up all the derricks and erics and jerricks but they're rounding up all the black derricks and erics and jerricks and so it starts to cause a rift in the community and there's a narrative that's going on online that basically this girl was fine until she started dating black guys and oh god okay and a lot of people talk about her family being racist well, they're in mississippi of course they are <laughs> fair enough i mean i've spent a lot of time there growing up everyone's yeah avenue q everyone's a little bit racist <laughs> no a lot come on okay and during the investigation, a guy just comes forward because he just wants to let the police know, hey, I probably was like the last person to see Jessica before she died, but I don't want you guys to suspect me. So that's why I'm coming forward in good faith to let you know about our- Very nice of you, sir. Thank you. Yes. Quentin Tellis. Quentin is a felon and he's a gang member. I have a question about that. Yes. I looked up this town population wise and it was like 500 people yeah if there's a lot of gangs in this town there's there can't be anybody left to not either you're in a gang or you're a cop or both i don't know but there's not that many people in this fucking town where how's everybody in a gang well everyone jessica was dating was in a gang and her dad apparently sold meth and she was selling marijuana so it seems like but then there were all these other towns you know in the surrounding area i think there were some bigger towns like they reference in the story driving to other places yeah it's uh looks like it's between jackson and memphis i looked it up on the map it's north of jackson i get why they would need a helicopter her to memphis because it's close up there yeah kind of by oxford mississippi up there and in the timeline people are going to other smaller places near theirs there's a walmart in a town near there that plays into the story so this is kind of like ozark or something i don't know this town. yeah maybe what it maybe, sounds like except maybe not we pretty do a Cortland, mississippi uh, tv show <laughs> <laughs> it sounds pretty sorted but anyway talus comes forward and he tries to establish an alibi for himself that he was out with some friends and he did this and he did that and he wasn't there and then as they start to investigate, it starts to become more clear that Quentin is not telling the truth. So her cell phone was found at the scene of the crime. Quentin was texting her constantly to try to get her to have sex with him. Yeah, I read that too. All and, constantly, that entire day long was, and, and then she'd reply, oh Lord. And then he'd say, right. Let's, yeah. But here's the thing I don't understand about this about jessica like what's going on with jessica she has a job in addition to drug dealing she has a job at like some local clothing store and it sounds like she's got a pretty good position there but for some reason she keeps hitting this guy quentin up to buy her food yes i would love to explore that one of the text message exchanges had to do with her saying give me six dollars for mcdonald's and he basically saying well you're gonna have to earn it or something like he yeah. wanted her to fuck him to give her food for money for food right yeah i mean this is one of those cases that technically can get really really complicated so i don't know if i want to if i want to just go blow by blow but the clarion ledger actually has a timeline of her entire day i read that that is so complicated and even the timeline jumps back and forth it's, yeah, very, so it's just very complicated yeah she hadn't known quentin that long and keisha meyer her best friend some people are actually claiming online that keisha lied that keisha actually introduced her to quentin i don't know if that's true or not but keisha probably knows a little more and is maybe afraid to say what all she knows but the fact of the matter is in the days leading up to this keisha and quentin and her were hanging out they're driving around smoking pot and there was one time where when she dropped off Quentin at his house, he grabbed her into some hug. And apparently, this is what Keisha says. Jessica was uncomfortable. You know how people do that, like, 
fish hug where they're not hugging the other person. <laughs> yes, the fish hug. Yes. Yeah, and he apparently whispered something in her ear, and then when they got in the car, she seemed very disturbed. But Keisha gave no more information than that. On the day of the murder, they did the driving around and hanging out, and then Jessica went home, took a nap. She got a text message, told her mother she needed to go out. She went to this M&M store, which is like the big convenience store. And the convenience store has got a lot of cameras too, by the way. And Quentin Tellis's house is right across. His mom's house is right across from the M&M. I, just, I, I could not believe the amount of detail of what they knew was going on with that guy's life because he lived yeah. across the street from the, from the convenience store with the cameras. Yeah, I mean, so it was they, like... Blue car shows up at 11, 11 in the PM. And then this goes out. And it's like, you know exactly yeah. who's coming and going out of there. And he's which is going, probably he's... not a very good idea with a drug dealer. Right. There to be a record of every single person yeah. or vehicle that comes around your home. Although that's, that's another episode. I mean, honestly, nowadays it's going to be, it's getting rapidly more difficult for criminals because I mean, we have cameras at our house. Like there's cameras everywhere. Like, did you see this story recently where this, this woman in this upscale neighborhood, I think in Long Island, and uh, it was a long time affair with her handyman and she tried to break it off with him. He came over and they had a confrontation and he murdered her, put her in a duffel bag and like wheeled her away in the duffel bag. Is this all on camera? Yeah, it's all on camera. So you just see this guy and he's just like rolling her. Everybody's catching it on their camera. <laughs> so he's rolling her down. in Jesus this Christ. Yeah. So. We can see Quentin's comings and goings. Jessica's going to the M&M a lot. So you can kind of establish a timeline. But at one point, she calls her mom and says, hey, I got some stuff to do, but I'll be home later. She didn't sound scared or anything. You know, she was just checking in with her mom, I guess, trying to be a good daughter. So the big evidence that the police have is cell phone triangulation, which is controversial. This was something that came up in the Adnan Syed case, too. Yep. Basically, if you look at the cell tower evidence, it seems like the two of them are together starting at a certain point in the evening. Okay. At the very least, their cell phones are, like, really close together. They're in a vicinity. I think that the defense really tried to defeat that evidence, but they didn't necessarily do a good job of it. But the problem is the fact that somebody's cell phone is in a similar area. It's not like we're pinpointing it. Like right. you can't say, oh, the cell phone is in Quentin Tellis's backyard. It's just they're in really close proximity for the period of time before she dies. And what happens is the police start looking into the cell phone records. They start looking at her phone. He's begging for sex constantly. And the night that she dies... He does a text message to her saying, hey, I know you wanted to get together. This is like right after they find her. But I can't get together tonight because of this and that. And then he proceeds to delete all the text messages and like all of his communication with her. He literally erased her from his life off of his phone. Yeah. So the police confront him about this. And his response was, well, she's dead. Why do I need her stuff in my phone anymore? To me, that's not a really normal reaction. It is not. As I'm not saying he loved the girl, so I'm not comparing, but there have been people that I love, friends and family members in my life, who I still have in my phone. Yeah. You know, he was sleeping with the girl. He wanted sex with her all the time. Presumably, there was at least an ounce of emotion regarding her in his world. And then it, that, to me, is just, ugh. Well, and my question is, was he sleeping with her? I, I'll get to that as well. Oh, so. oh, oh. So he's definitely trying to sleep with her. Oh, I thought they did have a sexual relationship. In the beginning, he claims they didn't. And then the police come back to confront him again. Oh. And he claims that very recently they did have a sexual encounter. And he describes it as they drive her car out into a field behind his house because he's on some property. And that they take the passenger seat and make it all the way down, right? Lean it back. And he has sex with her in the passenger seat with the seat leaned down. This is an interesting detail because when the police found her vehicle, the passenger seat was leaned all the way back. Oh, so okay. that was a, that was kind of a strange, it's a very specific thing to bring up. Yeah, that he told that detail. Okay. Yeah, and the thing is, like all these times he's talking to the police, he's just chatty cappy. Like the police are like, this guy loves to talk. 
And every time the story changes, like literally every time. And the third time they confront him is when they're actually gonna like arrest him. And it becomes clear to him in that conversation that they're going to arrest him. And then that's when he's like, not talking anymore. And Mm -hmm. he gets a lawyer. There's some confusing things that happen. So around the time after she's found, he drives to another city and he goes to Walmart. And he's very, he he loves to point that out to the police because he is on camera at the Walmart. So I think he's trying to use that to establish an alibi. But there would still be plenty of time for him to have killed her and go to okay. Walmart. So this is from the Clarion Ledger. Um, from 524 to 530, the security video shows Chambers at M&M. She talks with someone off screen, picks up a penny, goes in to make a purchase, and comes out to pump gas. 529, both cameras and cell phone records show Chambers making a call to TELUS. She pulls out of M&M and heads down US 51. 534, Telus calls Chambers back. This is the last call he will make for the next 48 minutes. He tells investigators in his last interview in January 2016 that he was calling her to come and pick him up. 601, Chambers' phone shows she was on her way to Batesville. So Batesville is where the Walmart was. 604 to 611, Chambers' phone shifts to the towers that cover the area of Batesville that include Taco Bell. And this is where Tellus tells investigators they ate dinner. The phone data shows that he and Chambers leave the Taco Bell area and head south. The phone switches towers during the call. It's the only call or text by Tellus between 5.30 and 7.42. 6.22 to 625, Chambers is trying to reach Keisha. Okay, she's been trying to call Keisha this whole time. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. 6.48, Chambers makes the last call she will ever make to her mother. The call lasts 76 seconds. Her mother says there was no background noise, no music, which she found unusual, leading her to believe Chambers was with someone. Telus's admission, he and Chambers are together at this point. Between 6.55 and 7.41, five women are trying to reach Telus. He does not answer any of them. Five the- women are trying to reach this guy. Good Lord. Okay. Oh, by the way, he has a girlfriend during this time that he's engaged to, so. Of course. I mean, it doesn't seem like anybody's sleeping only with the person that they're with. I mean, everybody's just. This guy is no prize either. I don't know if you've seen pictures of him. (laughs) Like, how does, uh, I don't even want to know. Oh, 710, a vehicle can be seen leaving the Telus residence. He tells investigators that it's his uncle. 726, headlights appear leaving the driveway to tell us his house, the area where he and Chambers were according to the earlier timeline. Security video is dark and grainy to see what kind of car, too dark and grainy to see what kind of car, but authorities point out that the woman who lives there is at work and tell us his sister is inside the store. So they're saying whoever left at this time, it probably had to have been her. Okay. 729, according to video, Telus's mother's vehicle leaves the home. She goes to M&M where she will stay for around 20 minutes. Well, this M&M is like the, yeah. the happening place, right? I mean, the number of times that everybody goes there is amazing. Yeah. It's kind of like you don't need a fridge or anything. You can just... I mean, you live across the street from the convenience store. Yeah. Just, wow. You can microwave there. Yeah. You can just... Anyway... 7.30, the fire departments receive a call. 7.30, Chambers cell phone patterns have shifted west and she's on the scene on Heron Road where she would be found burned. 7.42 p.m., Telus's phone wakes up. He calls Chambers and leaves a voicemail saying, Bay, my friend is coming over tonight. I'll call you, sweet dreams. And then 7.46, Tellus calls Jackson and tells her he's walking to his sister's house to borrow her Tahoe. Chambers' keys for the burned car were later found on that route um, along the side of the road. The point of all this is that he lies to the police about being with her, and he's clearly with her very close, if not up to the time that she gets burned alive. And at one point, I think he even claims that he had sex with her that night. And every time he talks to the police, his story completely changes. 
there are so many theories out there. Some people theorize that this was a gang related thing because of the snitching. Uh, some people are saying that it was a group of women that killed her. I mean, there's literally every theory under the universe and it's all really, really controversial. They do end up charging Quentin Tellis with the crime. And I remember hearing the prosecutor say something that always infuriates me, which is, so twice this guy has gone on trial and twice the jury is hung. So the prosecutor's response is, I know this guy is guilty and no one can tell me anything different. I'll go to my grave saying this guy is guilty. And I really wish that prosecutors wouldn't say that and police officers. I wish they would say, based on the evidence that I've seen, I think he's guilty, but if something new comes forward, you know, I'll right. be okay with hearing it. But right. that's almost never the case. The big hangup for the jury is the Derek Eric thing. Like, <laughs> there's one pathetic moment in the trial where the prosecutor was like, I don't know, maybe she was trying to say, tell us, Tarek, you know, and it just, because she was, you know, he was like, that's preposterous. Now, the first trial, they didn't have a specialist. The second trial, they brought in a burn victim specialist that broke down what would physiologically happen to a person. Okay. Let's hear it. And so she was saying that the interior of her mouth was burned. Her nasal passages were burned. She was blind. Her body was in the process of hardening, right? That she doesn't believe that Jessica could have said anything intelligible. And that also she would have been in a complete state of shock. Being that she can't see, she, she knows she's probably dying, that she didn't believe that Jessica could pull herself together enough to say these things. But then you but have all the- She said her name. She said her own name. She said her own name. She said she was cold. She said she needed help. And she clearly said to these people, Eric or Derek. So this is why- even though there's a lot of circumstantial evidence connecting this guy to her, like that he was probably hanging out with her all the way up to the time that she was burned alive. What do they say is his motive? They think his motive is that he wanted to have sex with her and they were out in the back of his house in the car smoking weed. He got her some Taco Bell and he decided she needed to have sex with him and that she fought back and he accidentally killed her. And then he wanted to get rid of the evidence. He thought she was dead. He drove her out to Heron Road, caught the car on fire to hide the evidence. But it turns out she wasn't dead and that she woke up in the middle of the fire from being passed out. So Where's there evidence of this? Where's there evidence of this motive? <laughs> I can't stand how prosecutors can just make up a motive, make up out of absolute thin air, whole cloth, just make up a motive. But here's the crazy thing, Becky. There is this whole like gang angle, right? The thing that maybe she was snitching, but it never comes up in court. It like literally never comes up. So it's odd, right? Very odd. Yes, it's very odd. And I'm still confused by the stalker who's actually named Derek Eric. Right. Not being a bigger player in all of this. It's very strange. his mom's feet. And there's people that witnessed it. That's the, <laughs> that's the alibi. Um, okay, so here's another interesting thing. Between the first trial and the second trial, you know, of course, he's a free man in between. And he moves to, I think it's Monroe. Is that how you say it? Monroe? He moves to Monroe where Jackson, his fiance, lives. And he actually marries her. And they got some, like, you should look online. Their wedding outfits are really, really fabulous. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay, okay. I'm going to look it up. Anyway, um, so while he's in Monroe, another woman shows up dead. It's a woman by the name of Mei Chang Sao. People call her Mandy. Okay. She's an international student, and she's going to the University of Louisiana in Monroe. Well, a neighbor calls the police because they haven't seen her in a while, and there's like, you know, odd smell. Well, the police show up at this apartment complex and she's been stabbed and tortured. She's been stabbed 30 times and tortured. God. They end up arresting Quentin Tellis because he has her bank card and the pin. And he's been going around taking money out of her bank account. 
the idea is he tortured her for the pin so that he could go to the ATM. Right. So, so let me just offer a piece of advice to our listeners. If someone wants your pin, give it to them. What's going to happen, they will be caught on camera using your bank card. Give them the pin if they are threatening violence. Do not get tortured for it. So this is actually a, a fear of mine because I can never remember my pin. So if someone did kidnap me for my pin... <laughs> I would be murdered because I literally would not be able to remember my pen. <laughs> I can't believe that. So you never can get cash ever. No, I just stopped doing it because I'll make a new pen and then time will pass. And then when I get there, fuck, I can't remember my pen again. Then I have to go into the bank and make a new pen. So, I mean, just oh my think gosh, about it. so funny. I've also, I would be under pressure. I'd probably lock myself out. <laughs> you know, <trying> to... <laughs> I mean, I actually locked myself out of my computer temporarily today because I could keep in the wrong password. So whatever. Anyway, there's another like interesting tidbit that also connects Quentin Tellus to Mandy's murder, which is there's this whole period of time. It's like 10 days. And be... July, this is in 2015. July 27th and 28th, a neighbor said that they saw Quentin Tellis's car with his license plate in front of the house, in front of the condo or oh, uh -huh. where she lived. Yeah. And there's no evidence that the two of them had a relationship, but he did have a friend or something that lived in the complex. So he probably just okay. saw her. So his car was seen there the 27th and the 28th. The police believe she died on the 29th or somewhere around the 28th or the 29th. A couple of days prior to that, there is footage of Mandy going to Walmart and coming out with a prescription and Quentin is in her car and she hands him the prescription. They supposedly didn't know each other or he had already kidnapped her or something? It's a curious point. Like to me, oh wow if why would she go in and come back out like why wouldn't she be like there's a guy that's kidnapped me. like and there's Golly. nothing you just don't know what goes to people's heads you know yeah so anyway he's actually been arrested for and pled guilty to using a stolen card so that's what okay. he's that's what he's arrested for right now that's oh what but not for her murder no he has actually been indicted for her murder, and the trial is supposed to happen this year. Obviously, COVID slowed things down and whatnot, but the trial is supposed to happen this year. Okay, so what we got here is the made-up motive, and I'm not saying he did it or not, I don't know. Right. I'm just saying the made-up motive, because there's no evidence of it, that he wanted sex with this girl. She said no, so he raped her and killed her accidentally. That's the police's theory. So is there any evidence that she was choked or anything? Like you can tell the I bones in her. So. I don't know, though. I would have to dig deeper into that. Honestly, I think he'd be convicted right now based on the evidence if it weren't for the Eric Derek thing. Hmm. That's the only thing, huh? That's the only thing that's tripping people up. Someone okay. theorized they, they were like, when they're asking her, like, what happened or who did this? that she's saying a wreck, but that doesn't really make sense. Like yeah. she got into a wreck, mm -hmm. but I started racking my brain. Like what could she have been trying to say? That would come out sounding like Eric or Derek. Mm -hmm. It's a real head scratcher, right? Yeah. I mean, like I this guy is a bad guy. I, I feel fairly confident he probably killed this woman, Mandy. Mandy. Mm -hmm. I mean, he certainly had involvement. I mean, it's possible that Quentin also had involvement in jessica's murder but wasn't necessarily the murderer i mean this could be organized crime but gosh there's so much like this guy quentin is like the most unlucky guy ever right See, here's the thing for me about that idea of gang or whatever is these are not these dudes these gang members are not the brightest bulbs in the chandelier they would have to have planned so meticulously in person to not have any digital record of believing she was a snitch because 
there would have been threats and phone calls and, and text messages of you better keep your mouth shut, bitch. And if there's none of that, which I don't know, but maybe the police found some and threw it away or whatever, but like the digital evidence, you can't have it both ways. Okay. So either the digital evidence shows you all of the things, but it should also show motive. You can't have motive that you made up out of the blue sky when all of the other things are digital. Look, you know, it's text messages, it's phone calls, it's constant trying to reach her and wanting sex with her. But was there ever any evidence of any motive that would lead to death? From, from what I can hear, it's just he wanted to fuck her. So there's a, uh, there's a, did he force himself on women? Was there a, it's like, yeah. I don't know. So the boyfriend that I had mentioned, uh, Travis Stanford, who was in jail, the police had heavily questioned him because they were like, well, did he find out that she was sleeping with other dudes and like called his gang bros and was like, hey, take mm-hmm. care of her for me. But after interviewing the guy, they said that Travis was very torn up about her murder and seemed to know nothing about it. And oddly, it's just one of those, probably just one of those coincidences, things that happen when you're a gang member. But shortly after he got out of jail, he got shot and killed. So I read that. That's such a, that's such a rough thing. You know, you say like, oh, he was in prison and then go, okay, what for? Well, drug dealing. All right. Was there violence involved? I'm sorry, but the amount of time that people are given for drug dealing. And drug dealing while being a black person too. Right. Right. Um, Because there's white people that drug deal and. Right don't suffer the same kind of consequences right but i mean obviously once the trial of mandy comes out i would be curious to see how that Mm -hmm. how that plays out there's just so much circumstantial evidence and and not enough direct evidence and i really feel like somebody's gonna have to come forward to convince the jury but makes you think keisha knows more than that's why i think keisha knows a little bit more why just I'd have to investigate a little more. Like I said, I've heard people online saying that she's lying. Oh, okay. Like that she knew Quentin, that she introduced her to Quentin. Plus, if um, she's if your best friend's trying to get a hold of you for hours, yeah, eventually you call him back. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, what are you doing all day that you don't call back? Those kids, kids today are always on their phones. <laughs> you know, yeah. not a. Mm. And again, that you know, why was Jessica involving herself with these people? Like. I don't know. What's the answer to that? What was like, she seemed like everything was just going so well in her life. She was, in fact, this is kind of just a sad side note. There was um, an author that came into town and went to some school event and she was trying to mentor the students. I don't remember who the author was, but she's a a well-known author. And Jessica attended the seminar. And afterwards she went up to the woman and told her, how inspirational the talk was and that Jessica was thinking she might want to be an author and she told the woman that she had a really good story to tell that's interesting <laughs> it is interesting but she also didn't have the best start to this whole life either you know dad's in prison for dealing drugs you know you're already born into a, a situation that's really rough I, I think for listeners and also for you, if you're interested in this story watch the oxygen documentary on television you can put a face to things and you can get a feel for what Jessica's life was like and what kind of person she was. And I think because this is so complicated, having some visuals helps a little bit, but watch it. And then when we do a follow-up, I'd be curious to hear what your theories might be. My gut is telling me that Quentin Tellis killed her. As to what his motivations are, I kind of go back to the whole idea of people when serial killers do stuff and everyone wants to know why. Sometimes there's not a motivation other than this is just a bad person that. Yeah, but I'm not arguing one way or the other about him. But there's also when serial killers finally start killing, there's also other factors that they've already, I mean, events that they've already done, things they've already done, you know, there's an escalation. This guy does have a record. I don't know what his record is, if if assault is a part of it. Yeah. But I'm certainly not discounting that someone else could have done it or that more than one person is involved. I'm not, I I don't. So the people who are so convinced that he's innocent, it's only based on the Derek Eric stuff? Yeah. Wow. Because think about it, like if we were on our podcast and, and suddenly you log on and I'm in a pool of blood and you're like, who did this to you? And I'm like, Bob, (laughs) right? 
And you're like, okay. tell me, tell me again, Marie. I want to make sure. <laughs> it's a Bob or Rob. Yeah. Okay. And then, and then you call Curtis in and it's like, <laughs> Curtis, you ask her, you ask her, I'm, I'm going crazy. And so Curtis is like, Marie, who did this to you? And I'm like, Bob, <laughs> right? I mean, I'm, this is ridiculous, but I mean, I'm giving you, maybe you had people over to your house and they come in and ask me. <laughs> and every time I say, Bob. Any last names? Give me something. Give me an initial. <laughs> Give me something. Yeah. I mean, I have a theory. It's a little dark, but I'll throw it out there. So both my mother and father passed away from cancer and there's a period right before you're about to pass. A lot of people begin to hallucinate. Yes, they, they do. Yeah. And they see dead relatives and they're playing out scenes. I mean, is it possible that she wasn't really naming anybody? She was just saying nonsense? It is possible. It's very possible. And because part of the thing is when you're burned that bad, maybe she couldn't even hear or understand what they're asking. Right? Yeah, Who not. did this to you? She was blind. She couldn't read their lips. Yeah, we don't know disoriented. what words she was trying to actually express. Maybe she wasn't saying who did this to her. But, and this goes back to, because now some of the first responders are getting a little more, less definitive in their story. But then of course, they're probably being pressured by prosecutors to like be less definitive. But they all wrote reports where they were very clear. She said, Derek or Eric. And it's kind of hard to, once that's in writing, it's kind of mm -hmm. hard to, like that guy Cole, the one that was so damaged by being exposed to it, he got on the stand and the defense was respectful, but she put the screws to him because he was trying to change his story. You know, he was trying to say things that were a little more nebulous and neutral to try and, but then she was like, I want you to read your statement. And of course, when he reads a statement, it's very, very clear. So I wouldn't want to be on that jury. I'd have a hard time with it. I would. I mean, the odds of her getting killed by somebody other than the dude that she just spent time with <laughs> up until the minute of her death is rough. Uh, those are low odds, but I'd have a hard time with that Derek Eric thing. I would. You'd yeah. have to, you know how the, the prosecution gets to just make up anything? The defense would really have to spin a yarn of, imagine she was hallucinating and she sees a Derek from a movie she saw when she was, you know, you'd have to just make up a story. Yeah. Well, the prosecution was trying to do that. Yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah, the, the defense needs it to be definitively Derek or Eric. Yeah, and that was a rough one. And I mean, twice now, the hung jury, I'm just not sure if Jessica is ever going to really get justice, like I said. So this incident actually led to something, and I don't know where they come up with the names for these operations that police do, but they did something called Operation Bite Back. Bite? Back. Right back. Okay. Yeah. Where they started infiltrating different gangs in the area to try to see if they could uncover any evidence that it was gang related. And like literally every gang member says they had nothing to do with it. Like they can't get oh. one person to admit anything. And I think if it's more than one person involved, you'd know by now because people can't keep their mouths shut, especially in little towns like that. People talk. Yeah. People know things, they heard things, they tell people. If it's one person, by the way, this is my advice for you, you want to kill somebody, y'all, listen up. Don't involve anyone else. You do it yourself. Don't ever tell another soul. Or if somebody else does it with you, they will talk. They will talk. These gangs have some funny names too, like the, the Black Gangster Disciples, Vice Lords, S-I-P-P, -P, Sip Mob. Well, don't make fun of their names. Remember that person got murdered? We did a podcast on it. The guy got murdered for making fun of the name of a gang in South uh, Texas. No, they're the names are super cool. I, oh, okay. <laughs> I was just actually thinking about starting a wine club called the Sip Mob, but <laughs> but now it's taken. Obviously, I don't want to copyright infringement. I don't want to have a turf war over a copyright of Sip Mob. Can you imagine? It's <laughs> a good I name, though. <laughs> this, is, this is a good name for a uh, wine club. <laughs> you went to Napa Valley with a group of girls and the t-shirts on. <laughs> the wineries would be like, oh, Lord, help us. Yeah. Some friends of mine and I are always making up 
fake clubs because none of us ever do anything we we think about having a party or starting a club and then we just like put on our onesies and yeah for the chardonnay and stay home yeah but uh, some friends of mine and i were thinking about starting a supper club have you ever heard of this gay club called mineshaft yeah it's a very notorious gay club yeah and one of the guys in our group has a mineshaft t-shirt and uh, i've always been curious because he's actually been there and we were trying to think of a name for a supper club and I was like, ooh, let's call it Dine Shift. <laughs> so I think if it ever happens, we're going to have the Mine Shaft logo, but the guy, instead of being like a mechanic, he's going to be like holding like food and like with the chef's hat. <laughs> you can join the sip mob. I'll let you get in. I can join the sit mob. I'm not doing a supper club because then I'd have to cook. But I would, uh, I would do a, I would do. Oh a, no, it's a. I do. I call it a supper club. It's a, it's a dining out club. A not, dining out club. That one yeah, I'll join. Very good. Yeah, that one I'll join. No, no, you don't have to make anything. <laughs> that wouldn't be fun. <laughs> Plus, I know what you're gonna work. make. It's gonna be like a bologna sandwich. You're gonna make everybody <laughs> bologna sandwiches and intimens <laughs> and cheese puffs. That's gonna be our meal. What pairs with the bologna you'll be, you'll be like, okay, guess who, who made this dish? You'll lift the little thing. It'll be like puppy Cheetos, a brownie. Yeah. Hmm. What pairs with this? Maybe a Chablis? <laughs> oh, gosh. I do make a mean scrambled egg, though. I okay. could do a scrambled egg for you. What about, a, what about an egg white? A scrambled egg white? <laughs> will i end up murdered if i ask for an egg Can I say, that'd be the fucking day <laughs> yeah that an egg white would become anything that would be in my vocabulary of cooking i probably told the story already but i was hanging out with becky and some of her friends and one of her friends was making breakfast for everybody and she's like i'll make eggs any way you want and i was like oh can I have scrambled egg whites? And it was like, everybody turned around and they were like, get a rope. <laughs> and she's like, are you serious? I'm like, no, I was just joking. I'm like, actually, yeah, I kind of wanted scrambled egg whites, but I didn't know I was going to offend everybody. <laughs> yeah, that was like the record scratched. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was not approved for sure. Yeah, so well, when I said any way you want, that's really, I'm, I meant like it, the way that a Texan would want. That's what I meant by that. Gotcha. Any way Texan would want. Gotcha. So I don't really know what conclusions to, to draw from this story. Um, it's super it, disturbing. It's, it's super disturbing. disturbing. And the way that it, what happened leading up to her death and whatever was going on in her life and how people point fingers and just, it makes me, it's really gross. It makes me really icky and oogie thinking about her. Nice. 19 years that, old. Yes, just starting her life and it's over. And this guy, I mean, if he did it, how we ever, ever going to get it to the point where he goes to jail for it? Or is it just like no one can get past the Eric Derek? You know, I don't know. It's, um, well, and, and this is a bummer. Back, going back to your whole thing about motives, and maybe I just don't get this story at all, but you know, you were saying, well, what's his motive? I'm like, yeah. you're going, what is, what is her and her friend's motive for hanging out with this guy? Like, he's not cute. It doesn't sound like he has a job. Maybe he has a sparkling personality. Actually, when they talk about it in the documentary, it doesn't seem like he has a very good personality either, so. Maybe the pickings were slim in this terrible little town. Well, maybe. But why is a girl that has not only a job, but is selling drugs on the side, why does she need a dude to buy her Taco Bell? That part is so strange. She literally said, I want $6 for McDonald's to him. Why don't you have $6? For I get that we all have our money troubles, but she you lived at home with your mom. mom. Yeah. You know, I think part of solving this might also be getting just deeper into understanding what was going on with Jessica. I really would like to know, though, it's one of those things where you just go, man, there's only two people likely, two people involved. One of them said, and we may never, ever know. Ever. Yeah. What would have turned whatever that night was that he thought they were going to smoke weed. And, you know, I'm not saying he's a good guy, but it doesn't sound like he started his day knowing that night he'd have murdered a girl. You know, that whatever went wrong, when did it go wrong? How did it go wrong? And what on earth was... Okay, so if everybody ever is going to the M&M all the time, is there a video of him buying gasoline? 
there's video of him doing all sorts of stuff but does he fill up a gasoline thing or where did he get all this gas oh oh you know what interestingly enough the gas can there's a gas can involved in this story i just totally forgot about it so at one point the police do search a shed on his property and there is a gas can in it um so he he does have a gas can but it, I, the reason why I forgot about it is like, who in a rural area doesn't have exactly? That doesn't move my needle at all. I, I was just saying, like, is there evidence of him filling one up? A lot of people who have gas cans on their farms just keep them filled up. So it could have already been filled up. Oh, really? But a bigger question for me is, I almost wish I could get a hold of like reports or evidence of some sort because I'm sure the police know stuff we don't. I've read some articles that say there's a gasoline pattern on some of the clothing and that would show somebody poured gasoline all over her. But then I've also read stuff that says there was lighter fluid squirted into her mouth. Um, this story is from unsolvedmysteries.fan.com. In the case breakdown, Chambers was found burning next to her car, which was also on fire, which that is not anything that oxygen says. Oxygen says she came out of the woods like a zombie. Mm -hmm. But on this side, they're saying she was found burning next to her car. And I heard said, when the story happened and I first read about it, I didn't hear about walking out like a zombie. I read that she was next to the car. So I, I don't know who, where, what, you know. Then it says she suffered burns on all of her body. A flammable liquid had been poured on her body, down her throat, and up her nose. See, all of these things can't be true at the same time. Which one is which? So it, it doesn't say lighter fluid. It does say flammable liquid in the story. But it seems to me that pouring gasoline down someone's throat and up their nose is a specific act. Yes. But yes. I, I could buy the theory that whoever killed her thought she was dead and was just burning the evidence, but not if gasoline was poured down her throat and up her nose. Right. So it's a mystery, but there's lots of things, like I said, there's lots of things about this case that are kind of like that. And I think that's why internet sleuths and people have clung to it for so long. Yeah. It, it feels like it's solvable. It's such a messy mm -hmm. crime. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, mm -hmm. But then the problem too, in cases like this is if you do get the guy convicted, it still will be considered unsolved to so many people. Right. You know, it's never going to be like, we're done. The book is closed on this always going to be the lingering fuck there are people who think scott peterson didn't fucking do it there right. are people who think that what's his name who killed his entire family that we did our show on chris, oh right right mcdonald people think that no uh chris the other family annihilator yeah he killed his american yes american, um, american right remember when we used to be good at podcasting no i i don't know that what we were the name of that show Anyway, that, that he confessed to his own father and some people really think he did not kill his wife and, and children. Like Chris Watts. Watts. But anyway. Um, all right. Are we done with this terrible, tragic story? I think we are. As we're ending, I guess I kind of feel the way probably everyone else does. The reason why we can't really draw any conclusions is because it's completely inconclusive. Yes. Eric Derek thing casts a shadow on it. So even somebody that just thinks Quentin Tellis is the worst person ever that cares about justice can't convict him because of that one thing. So it's like yes. Jessica's really... last act of saying this name has just got everybody thrown. So yeah. there's just this possibility lingering in the back of your mind that there's some dude named Eric who stumbled on her in the backyard of this guy or wherever the hell it was, you know, like uh that fire thing is rough too. That's a rough thing, destroying so much evidence that could potentially be a part of. Yeah, know, and it's anyway. particularly sinister to kill someone in that way. Oh, the killing someone is terrible, no matter what. But you're almost like a little bit more like, well, they cut the person's throat and at least they died quickly. But this was like the show the other day. The guy, the librarian, who was mad about the sandwich, who right. cut the guy's throat. <laughs> like oh and then didn't get indicted that guy didn't get indicted this guy gets two trials yeah, we're gonna revisit the cheese sandwich cheese sandwich guy gets his throat cut in front of two dozen people 
and doesn't get indicted. I'm like, what did you say to the judge? Your honor, he was eating that sandwich. I mean, it was a cheese sandwich, you know? Maybe the judge was very sympathetic to the public library. Hey, if it were pimento cheese, I wouldn't convict him either. You, you, you take that somewhere else. Pimento That's, is like the throat slashing time. Oh, yeah, there's a few cheeses that probably would be pretty offensive. Not even cheese. I don't even know what pimento cheese is. It's horrifying. Anyway. I, don't, I think it's cheese mixed with. I'm not going to speculate. What Satan. I think it's. I think it's cheese mixed with Satan. <laughs> <laughs> cheese curds with Satan. <laughs> with a side of Satan. Beelzebub. Uh, I don't know. Yeah. All right. All Are right. we ready to wrap this up? And then. Uh... Yeah, let's wrap it up. Um, if we find out any more new stuff about this case us and like the entire world we'll come back and let you know we'll revisit it <laughs> all right thanks for listening to this second of our second half of our second season of our show yeah i hope you enjoyed it i hope you can make some sense of it um visit our instagram fear this podcast now fear this podcast please just visit our instagram <laughs> guess what it is go to our website <laughs> do a little um, research of your own i mean research, I don't want do to the spoon- research online like we yeah. do why are we spoon feeding everything to you guys if you want to find out more about us research it come on grow up <laughs> not our job yeah but do go to our website because you'll find our sources there and each episode has its own little page that i dedicate uh some hopefully humorous things to and uh, there will be all kinds of life-changing content there. Absolutely. And you know what? I feel like it's kind of like if you have to buy a car versus your parents buying the car for you, you're just going to- Which appreciate- means more. Yeah. So when you research us and you find that life-changing content, <laughs> it will be so meaningful for y'all that you will just love us that much more. All right. Take care. Bye.